0: Hello and welcome to the Developing Dads Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon, and alongside my brother Neil, we're going to explore life as two young dads trying to figure this whole parenting thing out. Join us every Monday, we will aim to share our thoughts on how we raise our families, invest our time, and explore anything and everything that interests us. Welcome to episode number
1: 33. 30- it is indeed. Yeah. The
0: episode 33 of the Developing Dads podcast. Wow. I mean, I should really be a bit more prepared, Neil, should now, with uh, exactly what time or what episode we're on, but let's be honest, there's only about one listener listening to this. Well, there, <laughs> might, well, there might not be. I mean, today's we're recording on a Monday, which is every Monday we launch this podcast, and we had pretty good downloads today. It was over 30 downloads in one day, which is it's pretty solid for us. Like I know it's not um, Joel Rogan's probably four, 14 billion or whatever downloads in a day, but I'm quite proud of that, and we're approaching 2,000 total downloads on our, our wee podcast that we've been doing for six, seven months or whatever it is. So yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about that. I think, do you feel okay about that? I mean, it's not, we're not doing it because of the numbers, are we, Neil?
1: No, no, but I, don't know, I think the more we kind of delve into topics like the purpose and chat about mental health and stuff, I hope dads can relate and I hope it can spread some some wholesome content and advice. So it's quite is, nice to get listeners.
0: Is that you basically telling me that I should never come up with a topic like <laughs> how to travel with a baby because it's it's bloody boring?
1: Um, there'll be dads out there that want to know how to travel, but I'm just a seasoned traveler now.
0: Yeah, and I think I'm curious if... I, I don't think podcasting is a medium in which people attempt to learn something, you know, in some way. I think they, they, it forms in two categories where it's more a case of I'd like to hear someone's uh, philosophical opinion on something rather than it being like a tutorial on how to bake a cake because you you can search on YouTube for that. Whereas when you're listening to a podcast, I assume for a lot of the listeners and maybe I'm right or wrong, you can tell us on the Developing Dads uh, Instagram. But I'm assuming it's kind of people are listening to this while they're walking, while they're commuting, while they're going for a run. You know, they're kind of they're, they're joining a conversation to some degree. That they're, they're doing something else rather than it being a you know, a set task where they search on YouTube and Google and whatnot, but I don't know, I'm guessing. How do you listen to podcasts? Because you listen to podcasts now.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've been a seasoned listener for years and years and I, I generally look out like to- topics that I'm interested in or guests that I'm interested in, like Tim Ferriss, I'm quite a big fan of his, but I haven't listened to all of Tim Ferriss' podcasts because I only li- listen to the ones that sound like I'm in- that interesting or maybe have guests on that I know, Um. So yeah, it's a bit of both, I think. It's a bit of research and find something or just listen for the hell of it.
0: I've quite enjoyed listening to authors of books. Mm, yeah, Because not like an author, you, in a traditional sense, you wouldn't really know who they were. You might see a picture of them or like a cheesy headshot. Or if you're a massive super fan, you'd go to like Waterstones and get something signed or that kind of thing. But now I find podcasting such an amazing way to delve into the nuances of the book that this person has written. And you get to hear kind of like the process at which they wrote it, how they thought about it, their general philosophies perhaps about tangents that are just off the cuff of what that book was about. Or if they've done multiple books, you know, you get to sort of understand their thought processes and what, where they see how they see the world. Because these are pretty bright people, you know, and they've got some pretty interesting and, you know, relatively valid opinions in some things. Uh, because they've spent so long, because it takes so long to write a book, ultimately, and because uh, I was listening to uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the recent one on Diary of a CEO, and Malcolm Gladwell's written a bunch of really good books that a lot of people should probably delve into and, and read. And it was just, it was just really interesting, like listening to him actually talk and express opinions on certain things or talk about his life and you know all these kind of stuff, all that kind of stuff, which you'd never really get to tap into, would you, if you? If you did yeah podcast. You're,
1: you're right and like on that subject I'm tired of Dyer, the ceo there's probably two episodes i recommend everyone listening to recent ones is james watts one very very good have you listened to it
0: i have listened to the whole thing and <laughs> it was a a, a demonstration of, of some relatively some pr excellence <laughs>
1: Perhaps, um, and then the latest one, or maybe not the latest one last week. I think he released one with Coinbase founder, which again was an awesome. Like the whole journey of Coinbase is mad. And yeah,
0: I haven't listened to that one, so I'll definitely tap into that one. The James Watt podcast. It was it was kind of interesting because I think I don't know. There was something I got, I took from it that suggested that I, I'm not sure James is. I'm not sure James is... like car- or I, th- I think James got away with a lot for a long time. You know, with the guise of kind of being a startup and driving and pushing and pushing harder and whatnot, and no one really called him out on it. No one turned around to him and said, you're doing a shit job. Or you're you're this is too much this is not an appropriate way to behave at work or not an appropriate way because he was always in charge right you don't i I can't imagine you turn around to your the ceo that you work with and go hey i think you're doing this as a shit job have you ever said that to your ceo (laughs) no no and even even to not even to the words to that effect but something around it i can't imagine you've ever said that and part of me feels like that's a bad environment to manufacture to some extent if you're if one of your sort of skilled long-term employees can't tell you that you think they're acting inappropriately, then that's maybe a, a yeah,
1: bit I think I, culture. I think I might take back what I said, actually. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough. Our, our CEO was the founder of the startup I worked with for two years. I was kind of with him through thick and thin so that builds a relationship. And he's now the, the CEO of a larger consultancy, which bought us. Um, and I think over a pint, I could be like, look, I don't think this is working, Craig. Like you need to do something about it, um, you need to maybe change something or get some counselling, or. But he's doing a great job. Just to, just in case he listens. <laughs> um,
0: that's fair yeah, I, I really. So agree. I, I, I'm trying not to use yours as an example because it's not fair to put you on the spot. But it's kind of that's what I thought. What James? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. In in essence, I think James is just getting away with too much, and no one was checking him. And now he's been checked. He has to be like, oh shit, maybe I am a dick.
1: Yeah, there's part of me though that kind of, I don't know, sympathises a little bit when you founded this company and it has exploded. You've got no experience of running a company, no experience of growing teams across the world. You've got none of that and you're just winging it. So, of of course, there's going to be months and and years that go by that you you fuck up and you make mistakes. And yeah, I don't know, like he's a boy from Ellen. I I, I mean, he's our age. I'm sure. sure if I, I'm sure if I created a company the size of Brewdog, there's definitely things that are going to be said, and definitely things that I probably would have done that I regret, and shouldn't have done, but learn from them.
0: But I, I suspect there's a bit of ego behind James, and your your favourite author, Ego, is the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're, dig- uh,
1: we're digressing quite a lot.
0: I don't think so. I think it's like work environments and that kind of thing. Because our, yeah. our our podcast today is going to be about uh lose losing a job um neil's certainly experienced this and has a lot of a lot of things to talk about so i'm I'm fascinated in delving into that because as a dad you at certainly it's a stage of the initial stage of becoming a dad it's obviously a partnership and your wife essentially will take maternity leave and depending (coughs) on what you have negotiated with your company will either be really good or not very good at all um you know sometimes you might only, you might get 6 months pay you might only get this this sort of 3 months 90% or whatever it is and then after that it's statutory which is like 700 pounds a month which is not a huge amount and then it's nothing after 9 months for for 3 months Laura's got paid absolutely nothing so i'm curious about how neil experienced aspects of losing his job what it was like uh, how he dealt with it how he went about it and then we can sort of get into ideas of like choosing new career options and you know how to protect yourself if you are getting employed or there are other things you can talk about interviewing your jobs like you know that kind of stuff so i'm, I'm keen to explore yeah. that sounds good however i'd i'm keen we didn't do a po- we did a podcast mid last week and you've had some events already occurred that are pretty <laughs> dramatic in the life of a dad so i'm keen oh, to man. hear how your week's been neil
1: been been mad and like I was, I was almost i'll be honest i was almost like i can't do this tonight I'm just, I need to go to bed with the kids. I'm, I'm done. But I'm here. I made it. I showed up. Um, yeah, so the last week, it's, yeah, it's been probably five days since we were at last recorded, but the boys had their official birthday party, fourth birthday party. But before that, so let's rewind to Saturday. It was just a mad day of like getting organised for the party, which was on Sunday, getting the house sorted, getting the garden in a bit more of a playful state. And... Yeah, just like making hundreds of sandwiches and just prepping for stuff, and then Sunday came, we had a, we rented out a hall which is close to us and invited the whole nursery, so that um, entailed thirty kids coming with um, thirty dads and mums that I've never even seen, probably seen once or twice, dropping off their kids, but definitely didn't know them by name. But it was great, like I got amazing presents. Very grateful to have everyone come, and share time with the boys. They had the best time ever. And then, for a few kind of close family and friends, we invited them back for for some lunch and drinks and stuff. And this is where the drama comes. So, all the adults were downstairs. Some kids are in the garden. Some kids are upstairs. And um, we heard the screaming noise coming from my daughter, who's seven, Isla. And the scream was just like something you know. There's definitely something happened. Like it was a it was a crazy crazy scream. So all parents got up off the sofa. Ran upstairs and was like, "Which kid is it?" Because <laughs> there's maybe like five or six kids up there, and um, it turns out it was it was one of them. One of my boys, Ben, um, had got his finger trapped in a, in the door hinge, and in fact, like the little gap on the other side of the door where it's just like, yeah, you got it cut cut there, um, and it was about half a centimeter down. And Rebecca actually had to pull it back up and like get it back together because it was hanging on by a couple a millimeter. The the surgeon said. So yeah, hope you're not, hope you're not having your breakfast. Um, So yeah, it was very traumatic, lots of blood, lots of kids screaming, me and Rebecca just basically ran downstairs, got in the car, it was going to be a lot quicker than phoning an ambulance. So we drove to the hospital, which was 15 minutes away, got to the A&E and the um, A&E waiting room was like out the door, people standing, all seats taken, maybe about 40 seats, it was rammed. And Rebecca and I went straight to the desk and was like, "Look, my f- my son's fingers hang- hanging off. We can't wait here. We need to go." And thankfully, they like they, they took us seriously and just let us through. We got into a bed within five minutes. Consultant within ten. And yes, seen, assessed, X-rayed. Bone was cracked off. So in the X-ray, you can see the bone um, loose. And yeah, he got some painkillers, antibiotics because they do that for infection. Wrapped up with like a boxing glove thing. Got sent home last night. Miraculously, slept like a trooper. Like I don't know, it must have been just traumatized. But slept with a couple, and this morning went in at eight am in the operating theatre by nine am, general anaesthetic, an hour under, and his fingers now stitched up, bone back in place, and the surgeon says <laughs> the surgeon said it, it was it went as well as it could, but it's a very clean clean fix, and there should be no lasting damage. Wow. So, Within 24 hours of the incident, or less than 24 hours, 20, 20 hours, he was, A&E consultant, x-rayed, and operated on general Aesthetic, Home, had his lunch, and he's just back to kind of normal. I think.
0: I think the part with that type of thing, it's a case of its speed is important because you've got to reattach stuff, right? And it's just a, a case of like getting it done. Uh, oh dear! What a poor thing. I mean, yeah, you've had you've had a you've had a hell of a time with those kids because you, you had Isla fall off a chair and break her collarbone or her arm, arm pretty yeah. pr- pretty severely, and then you've had him cut half of his finger well, well, off.
1: Isla had the same thing, did like, she? When in the fire door, yeah. Goodness like, me, I just yeah, like and it, it's freak accidents. Like it's not like I'm 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 just not looking after the kids.
0: Neil, we lived on a farm with industrial equipment and <laughs> like scythes like you know, the big like grass cutting knives and stuff like that. And granted you were battered in blues because you just kept falling over all the time. But yeah. you know, we didn't end up taking the fingers off. I did shut your finger at the door once you had to go to the hospital and I fell down some stairs and cracked my head open, but you know, I guess I guess we didn't lose a finger or anything.
1: Yeah, I'm just like see where we were driving to hospital and I was like, if his finger's like just gone. Oh it's a-
0: He'll be all right. Like it's a, it's the end of his finger. Like it's still he hasn't lost half of it, has he?
1: No, but yeah. Anyway, he's um he's now in like a big cast thing for for a week.
0: And that will be cool because he'll go to school with it, and all his mates will be like, "Oh, that's cool! <laughs> like, look at that crazy thing you've got in your arm, you know." So now, well.
1: Uh, anyway, how's uh, that, that's my week. I'm just drained and just need need some rest. How how's well. how's your week been?
0: How's my how's my week? F- uh i think what i got up to to be honest wasn't a huge amount i we had a barbecue on saturday with some of uh, david and East, my in-laws friends it was nice to meet them and chat them i think it was like a foreign office home office they knew each other from school and they had some kids over and whatnot and that, that was kind of interesting because they had uh they fostered two children from north london and it was really fascinating to meet them and we didn't really talk much too much about it but they were it was just it was just kind of interesting you know i've I don't think I've met any parents that have fostered children overall. And uh, it was just amazing to meet them and amazing what they're doing in terms of raising these two girls, sisters, which are really lovely. That was nice. That was on Saturday. Uh, A little bit of walking and things on Sunday. So we were just kind of chilling out as a family, hanging out together, doing some bits and pieces. Uh, I was doing a bit of work, like working out some purpose stuff, in fact, like I was working out. Uh, various business ideas that I potentially got and how can I focus on them and uh, like look because there's like three things right if you want to work it out is how profitable is something and how much time does it take and that kind of works in a bit of a, uh, a, a cycle or a circle with it in itself you know the amount of time it takes you and how much money you fundament, fundamentally making off the back of that but then there's also the third, like, little trifecta thing is the whole fun aspect. Like, you do actually enjoy doing it. And I've, I have a never ending amount of ideas when it comes to businesses and whatnot. <laughs> you know, I, I, so I, but I have to sit down and like work out, like, is this going to be profitable and is it going to be fun? And if it is, should I do it? Should I target it? Should I come up with a system for it? All that kind of stuff. So I was doing that at a weekend. I was writing some YouTube video scripts. So I was looking at that. I found a piece of software which is pretty cool called Jasper.ai, which is a copywriting um, artificial intelligence thing where you give it like a title and a tone of voice. So it will basically, on certain things, it will come up with, for example, like Instagram caption or it'll come up wow. with like a, it'll edit your blog. So if you write a blog, it'll edit to make it a bit more interesting. But one of the things that I was quite keen to use it for was a YouTube hook and intro so a hook is where you're trying to entice people into the video to watch the rest of it and then you have the intro which is obviously what you're going to fundamentally deliver on and you give it that title the youtube uh video title and then the tone of voice and it spits out a hook and an introduction and it's really good really (laughs) good that's
1: mad that is mad
0: so that was really cool i was playing around a little bit with that i guess and and then and then i was just kind of like I was thinking. I was trying to think of, I, I need to sit down and work out in a better way how I'm spending my time. Because that falls part of this profitability and time thing that I've been considering. And it's too easy when you work sort of as a freelancer or you have your own business or whatever else to kind of, I don't know, kick the can down the road a little bit, focus on other things, just not have, there's not much accountable beyond it being your client. So I was kind of looking at some stuff and there's an app called Toggle. So T-O-G-G-L. And Toggle's like a task management, you've probably heard of it. It's like a task tracking timer thing. So I've been using that to track my time. I'll be using that this week to track my time and see where, where I spend my time and what I'm doing and how I'm doing things. So that's a plan for this for this week, generally speaking. So that was kind of my weekend, I guess. And yeah, there wasn't much else. Today eh, I went off, I had a, there's a chap that helped me with some branding, some uh during the pandemic where he just helped me work out what's my mission statement what what are my values you know what kind of market do i target all that kind of stuff and basically i've kept in touch with him he's a really nice really nice guy called friday he used to own his own branding company and now works for another company doing some other things and he's great he's been really good so we just had a chat about stuff and he's having a baby soon as well and i was telling him about the developing dad's podcast <laughs> and nice and we were just sort of chatting about that i guess that's, and that's basically the week gone already, which is a bit sad, but that's, that's how it goes, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's only Monday. We've still got, still got a week ahead of us.
0: Still got plenty of events to, to crack on with. That's for sure. <laughs> so today's podcast, um, talk about like losing a job, which you, it happened to you and it happened to you a, quite a few years ago. You, I guess you're over it now. You're not, uh, <laughs> still suffering the ramifications <laughs> of the horrible oil crash that occurred. But I guess you could probably give some context, right, to the, to yeah. the events, what happened, and where you were at in your life.
1: I can go into a bit of a storytelling mode. So this was—I should have got—I should have got, should have got this, this out, but I want to say seven years ago, must be seven years ago, because or seven and a half years ago, because Isla was not not born yet. She's about to come into the world. So we—I was working in the oil and gas industry in a kind of services-based company, IT-based company, where I'd work at different kind of oil operators um, when they needed some IT expertise. And for a period of time, I think it's about nine months actually, I was sitting on what's called the, the bench, which basically means that there's, there's no work out there and um, there's nothing much to do. So you get kind of, you're almost almost on call, but you can go about your day as you please. And at the start of that nine months, um, we'd recently bought a house in a place called Inch Aberdeenshire and Isla had just arrived. So it was almost perfect timing because Rebecca was on maternity leave. She was, I think it was a relatively good package because she was working in private dental for a while um, before we had Isla and I'm pretty sure it was full pay for nine months. So pretty good. And then, yeah, I was off for nine months. So we had some quality, quality time with a newborn. No real work stresses apart from as you're going through this kind of period of nine months on the bench, you kind of realise that like by month, maybe two, that things are not looking good. And you're seeing the headlines. There was an oil crash looming. The price per barrel when I was in the oil industry was around 110, 120 a barrel US dollars, which was insane. And then it went all the way down to uh, one point in a day, it was like minus, but it was floating around 10 to $15 a barrel for a long, long time. So you can kind of see that looming, and I mean, if, if you're kind of a little bit switched on, you can see the headlines, you can kind of predict what's going to happen. And there was a massive kind of job crisis. So hundreds of thousands of people in Aberdeen alone lost their jobs because that's the main kind of oil industry there. And my company decided to, uh, the headcount reduction wasn't that much, but I was in, I was obviously in that headcount reduction, which uh, interestingly, and I've, I've had friends that have gone through redundancy, you kind of you think it's a personal thing, like you think either you've done a shit job or your boss hates you or that kind of thing, but you've got to take the personal, personal stuff out of it. There's a massive industry shift where the oil price just plummeted. These companies need to try and do something to survive. So I never never once took it personally. But um, anyway, that was kind of after, after nine months of being on the bench, I got the call saying, you've got thirty or a letter in the post saying you've got 30 days left um, of employment, Here's your rights. So I've been with the company maybe four years. I got a week for every year I'd been employed. Which <laughs> just mad. Like that—that that, that was what was the kind of standard in contracts then, back then. And that's not very much. So I was like, "There's no way I can I can survive on that." I just had a baby. I, Rebecca was coming to the end of her maternity leave. We we're in a kind of um, transition of like I need to go back to work. We've got no one to look after. ILL can't afford childcare. Yada yada yada. So anyway, Ila did end up going into nursery, and Rebecca working. But during that, I guess before I get into like, I got the letter. Any any questions, Gordon? From from you before I delve into like how I felt, and the, the next thirty days because that's kind of a critical time.
0: I don't I don't think so. I think it kind of all makes sense, right? It's kind of the 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 oil price just went from hero to zero very very quickly, and that's it's not unprecedented and it's happened it happened recently you know during the pandemic right so companies like that have to make a profit but I guess it was you say it wasn't personal was that because the company was actually so big you know that these types of decisions it's quite easy for your manager to be like this isn't my decision because it's it comes from like the top that you never ultimately see right so it's not like you were speaking to the CEO of whatever (laughs) company you were working for and saying What's up, bruv? <laughs> like, why? what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: it, I think it was probably about a thousand to fifteen hundred strong, the company I was working for. So, so, not like global massive, but still pretty big. And right. I was at the bottom of the Virgin.
0: Yeah. Like, during that nine months, you obviously knew something was happening. So, what were you doing? Like, were you just kind of like, ah, screw it, slippers on, uh, robe on, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm chilling, I'm getting paid for this? Or were you like, crap, right? What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And what was your thought process around that?
1: Uh, so there's was, there was definitely parts of me like a bit uneasy about the whole thing. And Maybe, maybe nine months completely off is a bit over-exaggerated, I think. I don't know, probably worked a few weeks in that nine months. So there's like ad hoc little bits of work I'd get, get involved in. But um, yeah, there, there was definitely times where I'd get my CV ready. I kind of I kind of knew it was going to happen. But in terms of applying for jobs, I just kind of was trying to ride it out and see, see how it went. But I was definitely ready to push the button if I wanted to. So my CV was primed
0: and ready. That's fair enough, because it, it's it's an odd it's an odd situation to be in, right? Where you're clearly you've you've become a dad, you've bought a uh, you've bought a place, you know, you're kind of you're onto that next stage of life, and I guess it, it, for me there's there was a there's an element of a mindset switch when it comes to having a a child, and I, I wonder I th- have, we've maybe talked about it before in the podcast, but for me it's a mindset switch of like this weird whether it's right or wrong, but this weird Neanderthal, paternal, I'm a, I'm a man, I've got to go to work, and I, I earn money for the family because that's the best thing to do. And practically speaking, generally, that's because of the maternity, paternity laws in this country. Men go to work, right? They, and then the women uh, take their maternity leave, get paid for it, and take their time off. So it, I guess facing that, where, you're, where you've got that type of un, uncertain future you know where you're like am i going to be able to do that thing that you know society to some extent expects expects of me and at the very least my wife and child expect me to go and be able to do you know yeah was there worry was there like, what were you going through
1: yeah i mean there's definitely definitely kind of really dark times of like what what's it going to look like so aberdeen was f- falling down pretty much i mean they trying to get a job in aberdeen at the, this time was near impossible I mean nobody was recruiting if they were recruiting there'd be 500 applicants all wanting the same job Um, and that was really hard and yeah there's a there's a part of me that just like what is the future like in in five years time if I'm still in Aberdeen then like how am I going to ride it out I'm going to have to just get loads of credit card debt and just wait until the oil price picks up and then become a contractor and try and pay stuff off but yeah, I guess that leads me nicely on to the next thirty days. So I got the standard thirty days notice, which is pretty standard if you've had over two years of service. If you're one of the unlucky ones, which I had a couple of friends that were, they get, they got five days notice. And yeah, it's not not good. So and that's that's a funny like that's a funny rule. It's a funny law to have. You've got to be there more than two years to get four weeks notice. And that's it's pretty general. Like if you don't modify your contract if you don't put your hand up and say, no, don't sign for this, it's five days notice. Which, yeah, it's just mad. Yeah, anyway, that's so
0: That's something I've added to my list of questions. is like, you know, what are the things to consider when you're looking at like employment contracts and things? You don't necessarily have just have to accept the standard contract, right?
1: You know, yeah, d- definitely. But if, I don't know if you want to work for one of the big four consultancy firms or they're not going to change your contract.
0: <laughs> d- don't do it then, if you're worried about this kind of thing, because it does happen, yeah. right, Neil?
1: yeah yeah for sure for sure so um yeah 30 days notice i i think like when i was a project manager at the time i'm very kind of methodical in how i approach things so i I just put out a plan i was like by day i kind of set set some boundaries so i split it into two weeks so two weeks i'm going to look for a job in the local area so aberdeen aberdeenshire and i had quite kind of high aspirations of not taking a job that's any less than what i was doing so i didn't want to go down a grade i didn't want to become i don't know a support desktop engineer person in it or i just uh, i had quite strong views and and thoughts on on de degressing in my career i, I, I kind of to climb the ladder so i spent the next 2 weeks in, in the kind of Aberdeen market speaking to recruiters and all that kind of thing and there was roles out there but few and far between and again they had about between 100 and 500 applicants so um i, I didn't get any interviews i didn't get anybody kind of wanting to wanting to talk
0: which was and, unfortunate and that, that must be a little bit soul destroying to some extent it's like being a club right <laughs> and there's you know slim slim pickings and you you pluck up the courage You know, you go over there and you're like, "Hey, my name's name's Neil. My name's Neil. (laughs) I, I, I like bricks and going on runs." And then she just turned around to you and goes, "No thanks." Brutal. Yeah,
1: yeah. And like most of the time, you wouldn't get response because they had so many applicants they couldn't respond to everyone. So yeah, the 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 first two weeks was all about the Aberdeen network, and then. I um, I spent the last two weeks looking what further afield. So I'd say every day I'd be on at this. So I, there'd, be, there'd not be a day where I wasn't applying for jobs. I wasn't networking. I wasn't just, yeah, kicking the tires on LinkedIn. I was just, I was pretty, pretty anal about it all. And then it came to the point where I was like, I, I can't just stay in the Aberdeen market. I need to look further afield. So my options were Edinburgh, Glasgow and London. So I um looked in Edinburgh, first of all, um, and I remember like doing countless drives down just for that one coffee just to meet a recruiter or to meet somebody that's maybe got a job and then drive back up so it was like a four hour three hours down, three hours up six hour round trip just for that one coffee and it could have led to a job so again pretty desperate and had my, high, set, my eyes set on a, on a role that was either the same or a promotion and eventually after doing that multiple times um, applying for various jobs in London and in Edinburgh and and in Glasgow. I I got a job in Edinburgh and this was actually day twenty nine of my um my redundancy and I almost saw the the dark cloud kind of progressing with no paycheck and it was a it was quite a scary it was quite a scary time. But I remember remember it vividly like when I got the call and I got the job. I was actually driving down to Edinburgh. It was day twenty nine driving down to back down to Edinburgh for another interview um, for a company. And my phone rang on the hands-free in the the car and I was like, I was almost halfway down to Edinburgh. I got this call from the recruiter that said, you've been awarded the position in in Edinburgh as project manager. So again, staying at the same level, more money than I was on. And it was a great role, great company. And yeah, like, uh, uh, did I cry? There's probably kind of tears in my eyes when I was talking to the recruiter and I was like, you've no idea how, like that person that was on the other side of the phone, I can't remember her name. But, um, yeah, she just she just made my day. And I remember saying, like, I can now turn back home because I don't have to go to this interview in Edinburgh. I can turn it down. I'm happy with this job. And yeah, I remember driving maybe a bit too fast to get back to my house and um, obviously phoned Rebecca, my wife, on the way home. And, yeah, we had a bit of a celebration that night. But that was a long 30 days.
0: That's a, that's a, that's a pretty brutal story. Uh, <laughs> because, it, it, you know... I, i guess i guess when you lose when you lose a job and especially when you're a, when you're a dad and you've got your wife's on maternity leave and all of these like expectations that I was talking about maybe they're self imposed but maybe some maybe some of them aren't self imposed and it like it it must be it must be so hard to not show like emotions that you're worried that you're you've concerns about how things are going to turn out and whether they will turn out. Okay. Because you don't really know, do you? You don't, you don't know.
1: Yeah. You're waiting on that call. And that one call can be life changing. That one call can be the, the did future. Did that ever,
0: did that never like cross your mind where you cause you know, I've, I, I've run a business for got over a decade or certainly like fed myself for over a decade, I guess. Did it? Did it never sort of think? To, did you ever think to yourself, "Shit, I don't want to go back to that employed life ever again"? Because, you know, I can't control anything, really. It's just a case of I, I just have to turn up and do the work. And if if someone turns around to me and says, "Sauce mate," uh, you you're not getting any money now. So see you later. Did you ever did that ever cross your mind where you're like, "This is shit. I want I, I want more control of my life." <laughs>
1: Um, weirdly, and I don't know why, well, no, I don't think I know why, it never, never crossed my mind. And I don't know where this has come from, but I've always been put off by owning my own company that's kind of, yeah, like, yeah, I've just been put off by owning my own company. That's why? the sole in- sole income. Why? I think it offers a bit more stress. Does it? Like,
0: Are you you saying that I'm a highly high-stressed individual?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't know. I think there's probably something to say that, like, self-employed vs. employed. I've got a podcast episode with Luke Johnson about that. But um, the self-employed probably have a higher stress rate than an employed person, I would imagine. Unless, sorry, I take that back. Unless you're running a multi-million pound company or you've got crazy revenue streams that are making you lots and lots of money then fair, you've probably got less stress. But if you're like, I don't know, earning between 50 and 100 grand in your self-employed life and you're kind of, I don't know, I think it's quite easy because I know the market relatively well just from through you, like a PT, for example, they need to get programs, they need to get clients. If clients drop off, they need to get more clients. There's such a, like a knife edge that you could just
0: drop off and I, I, yes yes and no. But people don't live in that knife edge because part of them like they're partly putting themselves in that to some extent. Like if you if you're a personal trainer and you've got twenty clients, they're not all going to disappear at once. That's that's almost unheard of. You know, you might lose a couple here and there, but it's because you haven't there's definitely something that you haven't done that's contributing towards the the net negative that's currently occurring, like losing clients. You know, you're not applying yourself well enough. You're not in the right location. Like, there's so many controllables that you can you can do with that. And I feel like if you have one thing is your client, so maybe that's the company that's paying you or it's a person you work for uh, as an employed individual, I feel like you're at more of a risk than if you are someone who's a, maybe partly a service-based industry and you have multiple clients. Because they're not all going to sack you at once unless you do something that's completely egregious or you get cancelled on the internet or something. You're on a developing dad's podcast and you say something that someone doesn't agree with and it gets published, right? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, that's... I don't disagree with it. I think you're probably definitely more stressed.
1: But my my work, for example, I work across multiple clients and they're not all going to cancel at once. They're not all going to say, no, we're not renewing or no. So that's kind of a similar safety net. But
0: your boss boss could turn around you tomorrow and say soz mate you've got 30 days i
1: agree but i guess that's. I, I, and this is a unique position because in a bigger company i wouldn't have this but I, there's only one of me and kind of like no, nobody else can do do what i'm doing so if they got rid of me
0: then yeah they'd find they'd find someone else neil <laughs> like I, I understand i get that like i, I and i'm not i'm not uh, in any way suggesting you're not capable of doing your job and that you're not very good at doing your job and you're not valued. I guess what I'm I'm getting at is like there's a, there's, there's a sense of safety in employment when we've already discussed that if you were under two years and you were going through an redundancy period you got five days pay. Yeah. Which is that's heinous. Like you spent 24 like 23 months of your life Adding an extra 10 hours here or there per week. Maybe you've got up early for something. Maybe you answered an email on a Saturday. All these kind of things it means nothing. <laughs> it's mad. If, it's like, if, if suddenly.
1: That's a legal limit.
0: Friggin' Saudi Arabia decides to pump more oil. And it crashes because there's too much supply and not enough demand. Like, to me, that's kind of like, I don't know.
1: Yeah. It, but interestingly, I, I, it never, take, it never I, crossed my mind.
0: Yeah. I'd I take the stress of of being self-employed where i ultimately have so much control over what where my actions ultimately take me you know and i'm answerable to those because i've got clients but i'm not answerable to someone who might just dislike me because they're my boss <laughs> Do you know what i mean yeah but
1: like uh, there's there's also part of being a bigger company is you get the benefits of taking time off unlimited leave private healthcare like uh,
0: Earn enough, you can pay for your own private health care. Uh, you can, yeah. But would you
1: like? You would earn a decent, like. I don't know. Yeah.
0: yeah. As, as a yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> like, I own two properties. Like all of that. So, it, I, I guess there, there are benefits. I think one of the benefits that I would have, I would probably go with the you know, and yeah, one, definitely one of the benefits of like this isn't necessarily an employed versus self-employed episode of podcast, but I would say one of the huge benefits of being employed is working with a team like people you know this malcolm gladwell podcast that i was talking about the start of this podcast in particular he just kind of went into this idea of the generation that you know gets up in their pants and answers emails and goes to work which seems re- like it's, it's just such an odd thing to do like you know what are you doing man like how, <laughs> how is that like a how's that purpose of life you know yeah. whereas it's quite nice to put on a suit at, you know, metaphorical suit, I guess, and go to work. You know, and do the thing. And one of the huge parts of being employed is is that teamwork aspect, right? You know, if you've got people that you work next to that, A, you just enjoy working next to them because they're nice people and you have a laugh. But you also like you it's it's difficult to achieve things when you're on your own. Or achieve like like large impact. Because the more you spread yourself, the less of an expert you become in certain things and the less confident you ultimately are at certain aspects of a business which can positively contribute towards the bottom line or the the feeling that the customer gets at the end of it or the product that's created or the way it's created and even the progression in terms of yourself you know the feedback that you get from employees or other colleagues where they're like hey have you thought about changing this have you thought about adding that have you thought about making these changes and yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest part of the benefit aspect of things, I guess, of being employed versus self-employed. But I still think I stand by the idea that a lot of people who are employed take the idea that it's safe, because that's what people would say to me, to some extent. And it's like, employed, mm, well... No,
1: like, I, I definitely... Uh, safe's not the right word. Um, but I know, I'm pretty confident, especially now I'm down here, if I can get back to the story, then. That I can get a job relatively quickly like I've got Glasgow I've got Edinburgh which is kind of crazy amount of different industries in Edinburgh not just oil which is the Aberdeen kind of issue so yeah if I if I if had lost my job then I'm pretty confident I could get a new one
0: Did Did you think about like a career change So you know did you think about doing something else or were you just like nah mate head down got kids got a mortgage need, need get a job
1: Yeah I mean I've always enjoyed my career and like the kind of the stuff I do in terms of technology, so it never crossed my mind. And I always know technology is going to keep going and keep innovating and keep keep growing. So yeah, I kind of knew that was my career path. But one thing I had did have set in stone is, and it, it, it was a massive risk. So going back to like when when I said at the start of the thirty days, I didn't want to get a, I didn't want to go down a level. I wanted to stay project manager. Worked my way up from like the basic of answering phones and support taking all the way up to, to the project manager role, which was a pretty big deal at the age of 23 years old. Um, but when I got the kind of call, I need, um, I'm, I've I'm got a job in Edinburgh. I had nowhere to live. I had, I had no idea how much rent was. I had no idea how where I'd stay. I had friends down here, but they were out further away from the office and it was logistics were a bit of a nightmare. So I had to plan all that out. And um, so Rebecca went back to work I was earning a bit more money and we put a plan in place where I would rent a room. So it was, I can't remember, spareroom.com. Renting a room from somebody um, for, I think, I think it was like 300 quid a month. It wasn't, it wasn't that cheap, but it was cheapish. And yeah, so Rebecca working actually just paid the childcare for Isla and my rent for Edinburgh. Um, we still had the mortgage, the food for the house, my living expenses down here, everything in between. Um so yeah, it was a very, very stressful time and we we did kind of we didn't get into financial difficulty, but there was definitely a period of time where we're using the credit card more and with the kind of mindset of it's only temporary, the big plan is to get Rebecca down to where I am and get a cheaper place here, sell her inch house and all that stuff. So we had a, a bit of a game plan in terms of twelve to eighteen months. So for for the la- for the next Twelve months, I travelled down to Edinburgh Monday to Friday on the train every every week, which was mad. Like that was, was so expensive. I think it was like five hundred quid a month on trains just to get down and up. Um, I, I'd feel
0: some level of sympathy, but that's about how much it would cost for someone in London, <laughs> London to, to use the train network. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, it, it was it was mental. I didn't see my daughter, although I had that really special time when she was like zero to nine months. The next year, I saw her at the weekends, which was bloody hard. And like our relationship just became nothing. So I'd arrive home on a Friday evening. She wouldn't talk to me and I'd leave on the Sunday and she wouldn't talk to me. So that was, that was tough. Now I can't get rid of her. Now she's like my second, second shadow, which I absolutely love. But um, yeah, it was, it was a really testing time and that's when I, I took up running. So it's seven and a half years I've been running and so that rather, was a rather co- than, coping rather- mechanism.
0: Rather than take to the tenant super tea, you were like, I'm going to put my trainers on, go for a run.
1: Yeah, well, I couldn't afford it. So like looked at a gym membership, couldn't afford that, couldn't afford going out and drinking. Um, got an old, old pair of trainers and that was my kind of vice, that was my kind of escape, really. It didn't cost anything.
0: There's there's part, part of this, and I go back to the idea of kind of being employed versus self-employed. And both of them come with obviously their positives and negatives and difficulties but i guess there must have been things at that time prior to that time that you per- maybe would have reconsidered or you know would you have changed or would you have taken a different approach to ensure that you know if if shit hits the fan which it did ultimately you know 110 dollars a barrel to like 10 dollars a barrel that's that's a ridiculous unprecedented reduction which you couldn't have foreseen but you could ultimately be prepared for right the the bomb bunker that you've created in the garden just in case the <laughs> Nazis invade or you you know what I'm getting at? Like it's kind of, do you think you could have better prepared yourself for a possibility like that?
1: Um I think that the best preparation would have been moving away from Aberdeen because the, the IT job market in Aberdeen is just oil and gas. There's no other industry you can work in if you want to go IT and oil and gas. Um, so yeah, just yeah, move out of of Edinburgh but, or move out of Aberdeen. But looking back, it was a stupid idea. Like, I, I, well, not a stupid idea, but I can't believe I did it. Like, I had nowhere to stay. I didn't really have much money. We had no kind of savings. We just bought the house. All our savings went into the house and no cash in the bank. I had to rent a place down in Edinburgh. Like, it was just, it was just looking back, I'm just like, what drove me to do, make that decision? Like, why didn't I just get a desktop engineer job and stay in Aberdeen? That would be the easiest solution.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it would have been, but then you'd set—you'd already set your carpet out. You know, you'd already set your red carpet out where you were like, these are the things I want to do, these are the things I don't want to do. And yeah. quite, quite frankly, even in even in a state of adversity, there's a certain point where I think you you still need to stick to some of your guns. Like, you still. You still had like I remember having a conversation with you when this all happened, and I said to you that at the end of the day, Neil, your mortgage will be paid. Like, there's no, there's no one going to be like possess uh, repossessing your house or anything, right? Like, that's not going to happen. So, because because that that's the hard part, I guess, about like losing losing a job is where you get into this sense of like it's a paycheck every month, and I'm earning money, and it comes in and the worst thing that someone the, the worst thing that can happen to someone is to worry about about money right worry about being able to to put food on the table or pay the mortgage or because that has ramifications for 10 years down the line if you get your house repossessed right you you ain't getting a mortgage again for a long time and nobody wants that to happen so i guess i guess you you had your wants and you stuck to those guns but also because of you know do you think that was because you had a you, you you weren't you weren't just going to be neglected. You weren't just left on your own, like.
1: Yeah, and I think it, like it comes into the risks I've taken as well with joining a startup, is that, and I've, I've expressed this in other podcasts, but I've got, I've got a supportive family. I've got a supportive family both ways, um, and I, I can also rely on food banks. Like I can get a mortgage break for three months. I can. Th- th- there's options there if 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 things don't work out. So I've always kind of been quite a risk taker I guess and knowing that I've got that support Um, but interestingly they used that key word adversity and I'm I'm just trying to find it because I actually wrote an article that got printed in the Scotsman um, which was random in 2015 when I went through all this thing I was sitting on the bus actually commuting back from a a house I was staying at I've stayed in some horrendous houses or flats in Edinburgh just going through sparerooms.com with crazy that's another episode of crazy stories but anyway I, I started um writing this episode or, uh, writing this article and I can share my screen and this might actually work with the YouTube video so we'll see how this works out anyway um so yeah I wrote this article in 2015 um, this is not not the Scotsman published version but you can see it here I'm like uh, I'll read a little bit out of it I'll, I won't go in but I, I, adversity is an interesting word and in my opinion it can be taken two different ways you can either think it's the end of the world, the situation you're in cannot get any worse and you dwell on what's happening. You find it hard to move on or you take the situation as a challenge. No matter what you're faced with, you make your mission to overcome it. And in September 2015 at the age of 24, lost my job um, as well as lots of other. And the, kind of the article goes into my kind of how I did it, how I worked out the, the four weeks, looking at different jobs in Edinburgh, Glasgow. Um, and then some tips, takeaway tips. So stop hamster wheeling around in your head, the bad news and rejection you'll ultimately face when applying for the jobs. Network the hell out of your network. So LinkedIn has been absolutely priceless and still is to this day. Like I still connect with as many people as I can, still talk to as many people as I can on LinkedIn. Face to face is always a big thing. So you should drive down for a one hour coffee to Edinburgh. Write down your plan of action. How are you going to get to it? get out of this situation? What are you doing to get that dream job? Plan your day. You shouldn't be ashamed. So that was another big thing. Like people, especially in in the oil industry, people like think, "Oh, I lost my job. I'm, must mean I'm I'm shit at my job. Must mean I'm I'm worthless and that kind of thing." But ten thousand people lost their job um, since twenty thirteen, and just stay motivated. Use this opportunity to find a new and exciting role. This is a new chapter in your life, and you have control
0: that's that's a really interesting thing you, you wrote that like on your like on your phone didn't you and you got yeah. picked up by a Scotsman journalist and they published it which was which is pretty cool actually and pretty amazing but I guess I've got two questions off the back of that we are the Developing Dads podcast so it is about us having kids and all that jazz do you think you think you perhaps would have had the similar attitude if you were unencumbered you didn't have a wife you didn't have a mortgage you didn't have a a kid to provide for and you know I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know but I I perhaps think that having a child and a wife and being that provider thing that you needed to do probably drove you pretty hard if if compared to someone who didn't have that
1: yeah no I think I think you're probably right I think it definitely is a motivation to get up in the morning um, and it's definitely a, a motivation to keep progressing because I knew like if I went down a level and we're, we're talking a substantial amount of salary as well to go down from project manager to desktop support person that, like to try and get back up on that ladder on, on, on that kind of project management side would have been a lot of work, would have been a lot of years, especially with the downturn in oil. And I just wasn't interested in that because, again, money is not everything, but you need a relative amount of money to survive and to enjoy life. And for me, sitting at a desktop engineer with a kid and a wife that I wanted to support wasn't going to cut it. So, and like f- for the next year of, of being that project manager in Edinburgh we weren't living a lavish lifestyle we were um, racking up some some debt and trying to pay a mortgage and pay some rent and that was a miserable time not a miserable time but it was a hard time and but we saw we saw the bigger picture we knew that rebecca was going to come down here eventually when things settled down and i can't remember the reasons why we kind of paused it maybe just to sort ourselves out a little bit or make sure the job was was actually set in stone um but yeah so we kind of knew the bigger picture, so we were willing to take that hit in terms of a bit of credit card debt. Um, and then we sold our inch house. We moved down to a place called Resyth, got a really cheap flat there for three years, actually. And when I say cheap, it was like 450 500 a month. And we were in a better place. Like, I was still earning my project manager salary. Um, Rebecca didn't have to work. And now, like, we're, yeah, I'm
0: loving life. Because so much of this, to some extent, is. There's obviously a lot of like sadness, and you don't want to make it personal, but there is there still creeps in, right? When you lose a job, there's still a, a personal element to all of this. Then there's the professional element. Is like you know, well, this is really unfair. Why is the world going against me? I'm doing a good job. Like blah blah blah. But it all works out. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's it's not like it, it's temporary. If again, you take those that type of attitude that you've taken, where you're like, look. I need. I've got a kid, and I need to provide for this family, and I need to do what I need to do, you know. And ultimately, me, yeah, doing something like driving—I don't know, friggin' driving to Edinburgh rather than sat on a phone—it's not a very smart thing to do when you could have just had a telephone conversation. But it feels like I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to 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 make something happen, I guess, rather than it being just a case of I'm um, taking the easy route or the, you know, the less physical route to do something. <laughs>
1: Yeah so part of that like travelling was um it was this was obviously very pre covid pre remote working really like to be taken seriously and to be like i i would work in edinburgh i don't mind moving to edinburgh because i was like i was an inch trying to sell myself to a recruiter saying yeah i'll move to edinburgh the only way i could sell myself is if i drove down for that coffee like i don't think they would have taken my my word for it or taken my my position um but also like i don't know if if you get stuck in a bit of a rut and we talked about this and various episodes in terms of like the seasons you go through in life. That was definitely a season which lasted a hell of a long time. But think of the long game. Like think of the decisions you're making. I could have went desktop engineer, could've probably got a job pretty quickly. That stress, immediate stress would have gone, but I would be earning like fifty percent less. And that's not what I wanted to do. But if you had your end goal in mind, like Edinburgh would be a pretty good place to live. It's out the market of oil and gas. It's got various markets. I could travel to Glasgow if I wanted, it's only four or five minutes away two major cities I've got the capital like all that and like f- even for Isla now and the boys it's so much better down here so like thinking the long game th- through adversity and through a really shit time is important because if you make a rash decision like taking a step down or getting a job that you get at Tesco then you'll be stuck in that job for, for five just, years
0: it's sticking a plaster in a leaky pipe exactly you, you need to buy yourself a new plumbing system yeah yeah so it, part part of you so i guess it's kind of like yeah but then you know there was there was an element of the fact that you you were able to do that and uh you were willing to do it i guess is is also the the part of it so
1: it's just, i remember like putting fuel down to Edinburgh on a credit card because like i, I, I did, we didn't have money for it i was like i'm willing to take that gamble it's like betting your chips in the right place that it'll work out
0: and you you know the funny thing is it, it, the, these types of stories are only really heard when people make, turn their company into a unicorn and it becomes a billion. <laughs> you know, like James James uh, Watt talking about the difficulties that he went through, which I'm sure they did. I'm absolutely sure they did. But I can tell you there's dads, and I'll just say dads, but families across the UK that have had to do what you had to do in terms of, like, putting fuel on a credit card because I'm trying to get a job. Oh, absolutely. And no one hears those stories. No one, no one, no one, no one really wants to listen to him unless Neil started a billion-dollar company, which is kind of nonsense. So I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely glad we've had this podcast and had a chat about it because I think it's it's a story that I'm sure Isla, uh, Olivia, and Ben and Lewis will love to listen to about what their dad did and what they went through. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: No, I think it's a solid, and um, I think most people within their working career, if you if you're not self-employed. I'll we'll probably go through some some round of redundancy, some reorg, some restructure that you'll need to re, re reevaluate your job
0: and try. My I was asking you about you know what did you do? I guess from like or well, what would you change? And I think there's like probably two or three things that I would seriously consider doing if if you were to if it was to lose a job or whatever else. But one of the first ones is to to you don't have to you don't have to accept the contract they initially give you. I get it that you said you know all these consultancy firms they won't change the contract. There's no harm in asking.
1: Yeah, yeah, Ab- sure.
0: absolutely no harm in asking. There's no like, hey, I, I don't like this one week notice period. I want three months or four months or five months or whatever it potentially might be. There's no harm in negotiating because at the end of the day, you they they've offered you the job because you think they think you're the right candidate. I'm sure there's like another two or three hundred people that they've interviewed, but if they think you're the right candidate. There's, there's got to be a little bit of a push and shove, and you know, yeah, yeah, t- to let you in, not just from a salary perspective. A that protects you as well. So then you get at least three months' notice of pay. So you, you, you can have that foundation to continue to fight for a job that you pretend you actually want, rather than like you say going down to a desk energy because you need the work. Then the other one is like, in some way, try to save some of your more some of your uh, wage for a rainy day. So it's like, how much can you put aside to have? Three to six months of cash in the bank ready to go if something like that happens. Because again, the worst thing that can happen is you worry about feeding your kid or paying your mortgage or whatever else. And I'm very confident that someone can find a job in the space of a month, generally speaking, or within two or three months, generally speaking, for most roles or enough to be able to pay all those things. So by Having some money in the bank, it just gives you that little bit of security and that foundation to be like, "Cool, I can do this. Like everything's fine. No, no one's going to be out in the rain anytime soon." And then the third one, I guess, is consider that time and a moment to pause, if you can, if you've got those two things in 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 place, where you're able to be like, "Hey, you know, was this thing working for me? Was it, you know, was it the thing that I actually really loved or?" you know, was I spending too much time, you know, working, doing that thing, spending less time with the family, you know, doing the stuff that really matters. And could I take a pay cut and do something else that, you know, just helps me do the do the bills and whatever else. But now my season, my 10 years as a dad or whatever else, so the kids grow up and go to school. Maybe that's my purpose. Maybe that's the thing that I should be actually investing most of my time in. And if it costs me 50 grand in a salary, then c'est la and I can still pay my mortgage and all that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah,
1: the, no, that's it, solid. That's solid advice. You,
0: you don't get many times in your life to be able to pause and actually think about, shit, is this, is this actually what I want?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I like those three takeaways.
0: Glorious. What a smashing <laughs> podcast. I've enjoyed this one today. I hope you <laughs> it enjoyed was good. it good. No, I awesome. did. I did enjoy it. Well, that is uh, the end of episode 33. Unless Neil has any... Uh, wisdom knowledge bestowing things but based on his his youtube gaze it doesn't look like he's got anything else to say (laughs) nothing i'm ready for my bed like as soon as we click stop i'm going to bed glorious well i just want to say thank you very much to the two and a half listeners that have managed to make their way to the end of episode 33 of the developing dads podcast as always we are across all platforms so you could be listening to this on Apple podcast google podcast whoever listens to a google podcast who knows <laughs> spotify which is the the king of podcasts i believe also we have our youtube channel developing dad's podcast just check it out you can see our lovely faces if you if you want to listen to it it's still in this wonderful lovely sound that we have in this setup uh, but it's just you can see our faces and our reactions to everything we also have our instagram so if you have any questions queries comments thoughts hate maybe not hate nobody likes hate Jokes. Dad jokes. Dad jokes would be good. We should do a podcast about dad jokes. That'd be hilarious. Uh, join us on uh, Developing Dads on Instagram and we can uh, we can converse and chat on there. Neil will eventually get round to posting a reel, I'm sure at some stage, but for now <laughs> you just have to wait because it's uh, he's just titillating us with a, an idea of a reel, potentially. But either way, again, thanks very much for joining us on episode number 33 of the Developing Dads podcast and we'll see you
1: next week. Cheers. Thank you. Goodbye.